Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. Not the funnest of topics today. We definitely need five seconds of silence. Brought to you by Smarticle. All right, Brandon, here's the headline. America is averting its eyes from something very, very wrong. The great Pamela Paul brings us this article in the New York Times. The woke, what did you call it? The woke? Mocha meter. Mocha meter. Yes. Uh, she, I, you know, we've done an article by from her before. She wrote a book that I really like called Pornified. She's, I would say Ew. she's probably more woke than MAGA, but she's, uh, she's 53. She writes a lot about marriage and social society. Seems pretty straight down the middle to me. Uh, I would give her more on the woke side than the MAGA side, but pretty, pretty straight, accomplished journalist. Wow. High praise for Pamela Paul. Let's get into it. Mm -hmm. According to a new study by Pew, black and Hispanic teenagers ages 13 to 17 spend far more time on social media apps than their white peers. One third of Hispanic teenagers, for example, say they almost are constantly on TikTok compared with one fifth of black teenagers and one tenth of white teenagers. Black and Latino kids use social media differently than white kids. Someone quoted in this article, it's culturally more acceptable in youth of color households to use technology for social and academic reasons compared with white households. Parents don't worry as much about it. There is as much shame around it. Black and Hispanic teenagers are less likely to have broadband access or computers at home. This makes them disproportionately use their smartphones where social media apps ping whiz notify one of these assistant professors quoted in this article says she compares internet use of the phone to snorkeling whereas computers allow more of a scuba dive finally got that out one danger in white families computers yeah. in white families one danger is that social media not only reflects real world disparities it could exacerbate them so if you're scoring to know brandon minority children drink more soda end up more in jail and now are Facebooking your wife more often. That's what's going on. <laughs> well, you know, this is my old saw. I'm sure you sent this to me because I know. Like, Ooh, I'll get I Brandon just... all up in arms. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because in a sense, it's a it's a paradigm shift from my old saw. You have a hard time going into a white group or a socioeconomically or educationally advanced group, if you want to call it that, or however way you want to put it. I, I would think that th- th- they talk about the minority or the person of color issue here, right? Black and Latino. And we're not black and Latino, although we may play one on this podcast, but you would be hard pressed to go into any sort of affluenza family culture where there's a party where parents with children are not talking about social media. Hey, my kids are online too much. I've had to limit their screen time. You hear that a lot yeah. in schools, well. limiting screen time. What this article is saying, and I, I think it's probably true is that because Black and Latino families are worried about other things. They just don't have the time to sit there and stop their yeah. kids from being on it. And the other thing that I thought was really important was they said that because most of these families or many of these families do not have desktop or laptops at home, they are mostly on their phones, which is social media is geared towards phone usage. So they just have to spend more time on their phones because they don't necessarily have a computer to get on. So they're using that. Or, you know, maybe they don't have broadband at home, but they do have a phone plan. So they're using their phones more. But it, it is troubling for sure. Just like it's troubling that people of color tend to be have uh, less good health because of the th- the factors facing them. 
So what I feel like I just heard you say is that minorities don't spend as much time at farmers markets than white <laughs> families. That's what I feel like I just heard you say. Yeah, and you know it's funny because you know I've worked at conservative schools and I've worked at progressive schools, but they all have the sort of same DNA within them, which is there's a certain way to face the world. It's often referred to as best practices. What are the best practices for the students here? But it's really interesting. If you ever talk to black or Latino educators that work at inner city schools, they have a completely different take on what are best practices. It doesn't mean they say, hey, uh, you know, black and Latino students shouldn't learn math or science. But what they're saying is you have to understand where these students are coming from yeah. before you start layering down your whiteness on top of them, i.e., if you go to these schools, these progressive schools, or even conservative rich independent schools or rich public schools, they're going to have a certain way of saying, hey, there's only one way to do this. We need to yeah. learn a certain way and do it a certain way and blah, blah, blah. And these educators that are at these schools that are serving black and Latino communities, and I'm talking about like predominantly black and Latino, not like there's a smattering of black and Latino yeah. students in an independent school. They're going to look at it differently. And I think this article really touches on that is that this is something that has to be addressed. I've hit this. You hate me hitting it. I no, won't do here it we today. go. Oh, yeah. No, I, I oh, do. We made, it we made it two minutes in. We well, made it two minutes. I hate social media. I think it's terrible. I think it serves. I, I love when you're on social media. Purpose. That's my favorite part. Well, I have to be or I wouldn't be. But my I point is it. the world has sort of framed itself around that. So these black and Latino kids, and I don't know if it's as much within Asian community, other minority communities, but these kids, that's their only access. So they spend a lot of time there because well, that's what they have. I I think what this article is saying, just to double down on that, is that they're doing their homework on their phone. Right, right because they and they're getting whizzed by social media as opposed to like my kids who are doing their work on their computer right. and then are on their phone to talk with everybody. Right. The line and, is blurry. And not only that, but the fact that you've said it on the show that your family's always on the phone and you tell them to get off and you're constantly yes. battling with them. Yes. Well, if you don't have somebody that's doing that, it does. Let me ask you, uh, this is a serious question. So don't like make fun of me, but okay. does it ever work that you tell your kids to get off the phone? Do you think well, that they works? get off their phone? Yes. Okay. They that's, get off their phone. That's the point. They don't have parents. Th their parents are too busy working, trying to make ends meet. Maybe yeah. it's a single family household. Maybe they're just doing the best they can. So they're not telling these kids to get off their phone. So they're spending yeah. an inordinate amount of time online. The statistics play out that these communities, the black and Latino communities, kids spend way, way, way more time on their phones, which means they spend way more time on social media than do the white kids of affluence. Now, I don't know. I would ask this question of her and of any social scientist who's looking at this is, you know, I live in Appalachia and, and if you go up to Harlan County, Kentucky, it is the poorest county in America and it's all white. And I'm talking people living in shanties. Do those kids, if you set them up, would they spend more time on their phones? Then? I'm assuming they would. I would. That's what I'm assuming, but it doesn't say that. That's why I would ask that question. Interesting. Yeah, you know, this, this like a, there's a thousand things wrong with this. <laughs> like yeah, a thousand. I don't even know where to get yeah, into. And this, that's right? the point. It's like how do you how do you unpack this? You've pushed back at me when I say I want a social media control no. you're like oh we can't do that i know but i'm saying that that's the answer isn't it okay so here here is my question you've been out of the game for a little bit but mm. i thought all kids now have chromebooks at every school you go to a kid has a chromebook rich kids do i mean really, chromebooks are still 200 bucks so hold on i thought so if you go to san francisco unified school district you you literally have to type a paper 
on your phone? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I'm assuming nobody's like nobody's writing a paper anymore, like me and you did. So he, I'm assuming they have Chromebooks at school. So, but, you, but they so then how do you do homework? Take them home. So then how do you do homework? They don't do homework at home. They do it either on their phones or they don't do it. So low income schools do not. Kids do not do homework. I, I can't answer that. I'm sure some schools do have laptops that they send home, but it's not cheap. I mean, so there is a a school that does this. It's sort of, I guess, it's a charter school. And they basically, this thing where the kids come at seven in the morning and they leave at seven and the whole purpose, and these are low income students. And the whole reason for that is so that they can help them with their homework at school because they know when they go home, they're not going to be able to do that. Well, I get that. That makes sense. But if students in public schools, now once again, there's there's a wide range in there, don't have access to a computer, then there's no reason to do homework. There's no reason to do work. Right. But that's why they access so it they, to their phones. That's where they do their work, if they do their work. Wow. We are, like, I thought we were over our skis when we were talking about uh, dating apps, where we had no idea. Yeah. Now, we can't even answer, like, do kids well, in inner city Chicago have access to a Chromebook? But here, and here's the other side of that. Well, I'm sure that the schools have access to that. No, but, like, at home. Most likely they don't. That's what this is talking about, is that wow. that these kids do not have the access, you know, of course, we're two white guys in their 50s. Uh, you know, I was an educator for 25 years, and my first job ever was in an inner city school that was mostly brown, uh, and it was in Hayward, and through AmeriCorps. Yeah, and so, but even then, it's like, I remember uh, another friend of ours, uh, one Jeff Finger, who worked at Gloria Marshall, which isn't even existing in San Francisco anymore. He would have to go do these, he'd have to do these home visits with families, and he'd be like, these kids are basically walking through a war zone to get home. How do we expect yeah. them to actually do their homework, math homework, or something? Come and they have no help at home because their parents are just trying to get by. I mean, it, we have to take those things into consideration when we talk about these bigger global issues within our society. Well, there's like five thousand layers again to this. Yes, there is like being able to uh, just walk to your house security. Now we're talking about not having a computer to do your work, and now we're talking about being on your phone and getting whizzed by your friends on social media. Let's think about it this way. I mean, there there are some fairly simple solutions, but they oh. are incredibly difficult politically to get done. So, for instance, if we just had each school had a sort of a, if you think about it as like a youth community center where the kids went to before and after school where they had lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and by the way, that exists, and they had a study hall, and then the school had vans that could take these kids home. Wow. Right. And we could afford to do that as a nation. We could do that if we wanted to. We just don't want to. We would rather spend trillions of dollars on military budgets rather than yeah. on the future of America. So I'm saying is if we invested in that and we said, hey, listen, we're going to save this generation of kids and we're going to do it. And I could just hear people like, oh, bleeding heart. I'm like, uh, whatever, douchebag. I worked in these schools. I know exactly what these kids are fighting an uphill battle. So if we gave them at least, I'm like, they're like, well, you're giving them so much. I'm like, well, they got to go home to a war zone, dude. Help them for this time period to have access to things that are going to be helpful for them. And don't expect them to be white kids from rich families. Expect them to be different, but we're going to help them so that maybe generationally they'll be better parents and better workers and better citizens as we move forward. That's I'm going to give you a drop down menu. Sure. What do you think is going to happen? What is more likely to happen? As a country, we will ban uh, social media. Mm. 
Number two, there will be a national volunteer service. Mm. Or number three, what you just talked about, we will have provide vans and after-school hours so kids can do their homework. Do you, do you really want an honest answer? Yes, I do. I think a national service would be more likely. Oh. And the reason okay. I say that is because it doesn't, it gives back to the country. Like, there, it wouldn't cost as much. There's nothing, we're, we're really, really good about doing everything when we absolutely have to. For instance, if we look at COVID, we basically just shit the bed when it came to COVID Uh-oh. because we were not prepared. We were not prepared for a pandemic. Guess what? Pandemics happen. How are we not prepared? We're the richest country in the world with the best medical and we weren't prepared. It's because we don't think 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. right? We only think about what's politically expedient right now in this moment. So in order to do that, in order to say we're going to invest in an entire generation of kids, we're going to have to have massive systemic change within our political system. That ain't happening. Well, uh, you know, social media, is too, they make too much money, so they're going to fight it. The only thing I could see, and again, I don't think any three of these are going to happen, but the third one, the like two-year service, you know, and the job core, whatever, that seems more realistic than the other two, personally. I, any chance we can get the BR, Brandon Rules, to come out? Onto uh, the Smarticle podcast. Maybe I, I feel should write like a book about it. What do you think? I, you know, I'm, I would be I think in I line. Should. I think those are uh, those are three areas that we could we could take a stab at, look at, and 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 write a book about. Once again, I think you should write a book about that. Maybe you should write a book about men uh, going on dating apps because I think you're very, you know, <laughs> yeah, talk yeah, about well, social media. I mean, there's just yeah, a lot a that lot you could things, write books about. That's why we do a podcast, Larry. Brennan, I'd like to thank you for expanding my mind today. 